Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by CEO, keynote speaker, and five times TEDx speaker, Bobby Umar. Bobby and I are going to be talking all about why as leaders, it's okay to not always be the smartest person in the room. We're going to be discussing why this is an important thing to acknowledge, whether you're building your own business as an entrepreneur with people around you or working within a corporate team. Also, some of the mistakes that leaders make by avoiding this very fact of trying to always be the smartest person in the room and how leaders can become better at doing this by being more understanding of their skills and aware of those around them. Bobby will also be sharing a bit more of an insight into him and his business as well. An added message that I'd like to add on this episode is that on Wednesday, 3rd of October, 8pm GMT time, I'm going to be hosting a free live webinar, which will be streamed through Zoom, Instagram and Facebook on how to start a podcast. I'm going to be going through everything from is podcasting the right kind of avenue for you? How do you identify, attract the right kind of guests to bring on? tips on structuring and hosting your podcast, all the fundamentals you need to get it started, and then also how you're marketing it and redistributing and repurposing the content that you have for your podcast. So if you're interested in that, then follow my handle at the end of this podcast and drop me a message and hopefully see you soon. But for now, grab a pen and pad and enjoy the episode. Bobby, welcome. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. You're very welcome here. Um, Bobby, for those that aren't too familiar with your background and yourself, it would be great to start off with just a bit of an overview, really, a bit of a story about who you are and, and what's going on in your world, really. Sure. Uh, I'm a professional speaker. I've been doing it for over 13 years. Um uh, my main specialty area is obviously in leadership, but from that, my three main areas of expertise that I talk about is uh, personal branding and authentic networking and social media, digital connection, content, storytelling, things like that. I also am a speaker coach and I'm also a social media influencer with over half a million followers. So I share a lot of content online across most platforms. And um I found my way this way because I was a lost leader. I felt lost and stuck on fulfilling my career, uh, several careers. So I had a career as an engineer, and then I started, had a career in the performing arts, and then I also had a career in brand marketing. But now the, fir- the fourth and latest has been the one that's lasted a long time because now I've kind of di- dived in my, into my personal brand and aligned my path and purpose, and now I'm super happy. So it's been I've been doing that for 13 years. Great, great. And having seen some of your content that you're sharing online, you know, that's what got me uh, into you, first of all, and following you in terms of not just the content you're sharing, but also your communication style, which I really buy into. And I think it's so important in this day and age when you have so much content out there as well, is how you differentiate yourself. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I try to create content on a daily basis for a lot of people and try to be, you know, impactful, create value, uh, but at the same time, also try to be very engaging. I think that's a big difference with some people who, you know, create content but don't engage, but I think I'm mm. trying to engage and keep it more heart-centric. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of uh, points there around this aspect of leadership and management and so on, and this brings us nicely on to our topic for today. And I'm sure, like you and like myself and many of the listeners listening over the years and the jobs you've been through, or even now working alongside companies, you've experience different types of managers and different leaders within those environments and 
I'm always quite curious and thinking, you know, having started um, this podcast, started thinking about leadership management, that when I look back and I think, you know, what, what were my best managers and why were they my best managers? I think one of these things, and we talked about this the other day, was this aspect of them feeling like it's, they're okay not being the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that you know, the ones who are the authoritarians who think they know everything and you know nothing, uh, you know, it doesn't create loyalty, it doesn't create respect, it doesn't enhance productivity. But the ones who know they're not the smartest, they, they can recognize your talent and what you bring to the team and the organization. And they also are willing to champion you because they are not, they don't see you as a threat. They see you that, you know, if I invest in you and I champion you and I make you the best you can be, within the construct of my team and my organization, then we will all thrive. But it's not going to reflect bad at me. It's actually going to make me look good. And I find those managers are are rarer than you'd expect. Most mm. people are spend too much time. And I think the big difference is because they spend too much time being a manager versus being a leader. And, yeah. and my feeling is that leadership is really about certainly working on yourself to evolve and grow and be better uh, for yourself and everyone around you, but also about investing in new leaders and building them up uh, to greatness. And so I think that the best leaders are building new leaders versus the versus the managers who refuse to do that. Absolutely. And I think also sometimes leaders have this fear of, well, if I bring someone into my team or start developing them, they're going to take my job and then I'm not going to be needed and so on. And it's, it's, no, actually, if you're able to develop someone like that, then you're an even bigger asset to your organization. And therefore, why wouldn't they want to keep you and, and potentially move you higher up to work with people and do the same thing with them? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is if managers are fearing this uh, idea that maybe they're not the best manager, <laughs> like maybe they have a reason to fear because they're not that good. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a strong manager and a strong leader should not fear that kind of stuff because they're creating value by first mentoring and developing new leaders, but also they should also know their own value understand mm-hmm. what they bring to the table because every person brings something to the table. The issue is most people don't know what that is or they kind of, they're so bogged down in their routine. They don't take the time to understand what their value is. But you know, the moment you know your value, then hopefully everyone else will know that value too. Yeah. And I think this is essential as well, you know, not just looking at it from the, the corporate business world, but also entrepreneurs out there when you are building a, a brand and a company, bringing in people around you that are going to, are going to be particular assets in certain areas. You might have someone, you might not naturally be great at pitching. You might know a, a hell of a lot about your product or your solution, but you might not just be great at pitching. And there might be someone there in your team that is. And it's about going, look, they can. They, I will shine the light on them. They're going to do that for me. And I am the guy that knows the stuff if there's questions. So one of the things that's interesting is that when you work with people, and this is not just a leadership thing, it's an organizational thing. So when I worked at Kraft and Unilever, Kraft was known to be an agency bully. So they would work with creative agencies and what happened was they would get them to do the work, but they would bully them into doing everything the way they want. And they actually rarely listened to the agencies in terms of their work. But when I worked at Unilever, we were partners with the agencies and all the creative people, and we worked with them in partnership, and we created much more better content that was informed and insightful, intuitive, and created more results. And as an organization, it was interesting to see that, you know, when you listen to people who are the experts in their field versus who you are, you'll do better. And I think that same example applies to leadership as well. Because for me, like, you know, I don't certainly suppose that I'm uh, the expert in sales or in d- analytics or doing tech stuff. I rely on people to do that for me. 
And even areas where I'm pretty good, like marketing or copy, I still rely on the, the experts say, listen, is this the right copy or not? Even though I feel pretty good about it, I still open, look to them to say, look, you're the expert, you tell me what you think. And being able to do that allows me allows me and the organization to do better. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you mentioned there and also when we first got onto this topic around it builds trust and loyalty within your team and it also builds empowerment. I mean, if, if you're being brought into a business or if you're working alongside a leader or manager, whether it's a small team within a, a small startup company or a huge organization, when someone, when you feel that someone's actually giving you that trust and that belief, it just empowers you to be the best version of yourself, really. And you are going to find, if you're doing that with people, you're also creating an incredibly strong culture as well, where it's not just about their performance, but also an element of that retention of people wanting to work with you. I mean, I mean, they say, and don't they, this is a common saying, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. Right. And it's, it's so true to that point is that if you can do that, you can build a really strong unity with people. And, and I know of managers who've done this really well and their team have followed them through different jobs over the years or reunited with them because of that very thing. Yeah, and I, I think that you know, culture is a very strong word. I mean, I uh, even now with my startup, I'm looking at how do I build the proper culture. Part of it comes with you know how I demonstrate my own abilities in terms of what I do, but also you know, talking, investing in relationships with people, and talking to them and understanding where they are and what they where they see their, their, how they fit, how I can help support them and and you know empower them. And by doing that investment and getting to know who they are and showing how what we're doing together is aligning, I'm finding that it's actually a it's empowering them to do way more work, but also way more quality work and be more productive. Mm. So I've been learning that actually, because it's funny because I've been a solopreneur for many, many years and only recently have I started a startup. And it's interesting to see how in, investing in them and w- helping them, you know, to, to nourish them and to train them as leaders that is creating far more productivity, as, but also it's building a culture of expectation and how we all work together and have fun. And I, I'm learning a lot about that. I think it's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've, we've mentioned a couple there, but what are some of the mistakes or repercussions for leaders who don't take this approach, who do feel like, I need to be the smartest person in the room, I need to control everything? Well, I mean, having worked for a controlling manager, I can tell you that, you know, when you don't feel empowered, you don't feel aligned, and you feel like your, your boss is taking away all your credit, your credit or not really giving you the, the credit you deserve, then you know, number one, you you're productivity actually goes down you don't do a really good job uh, you know or you do the minimum amount to you know get them to shut up and move on to the next thing the other thing is of course retention right so if productivity goes down retention goes down you're looking you're constantly you're going to spend 10 hours a day on linkedin looking for a new job you're not going to be out there saying oh how can i let me spend 10 hours extra of my time even at home trying to make my my projects my work even better no i'm going to spend my time on linkedin because i want to get a job and so you're going to so productivity goes down the other thing that goes down is retention uh, loyalty will also disintegrate, and and the worst, the communication uh, goes down. You know, if something comes up that you want to communicate, you don't feel comfortable bringing it up. If there's a conflict, you're less likely to bring it up. If there's an issue that you can improve things, you're not going to you know talk about how to improve things because you don't feel like you're valued or respected. So it breaks down on so many different levels if you don't have that. Mm. I think for me as well, and when, when I think about that, and I, we talked about it at the start of. You know, focusing on what you're good at and bringing other people around you. If you don't do that, you you become stressed and you lose sight of your your key strengths, of your key attributes, of what you really bring to the business. Particular for those businesses starting up and looking to scale, 
is that once you stop yourself from bringing people in around you, you then find yourself doing a bit of everything. And you might be the product guy or you might be the marketing guy. You might be the guy that goes in front of people. If you're trying to do everything, you're spending less time doing that. And you actually forget like what inspired you and what drove you that kind of passion in the first place to, to even start this. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. I mean, uh, the fact that if I'm able to outsource the stuff that I'm not good at and recognize that and work with people that are better than me, I will save far more time on the stuff that I'm really good at and, will, and work on that. And I think a lot of leaders and managers have struggled with that because, especially entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs want to have their hand in every little thing. And I, as an entrepreneur, I will fully admit that I do that and I have trouble with certain parts. I've definitely certainly learned to let go of the key, the easy one, which is like, you know, I don't want to do tech, I don't want to do accounting. But even sometimes I'll, I'll do some I'll do some accounting and, and it's like, what am I doing, Bobby? Like, stop this. You're spending an hour on accounting when you could get one of your team members to do that in a much better way, in a much better way and more efficiently. Um, so, I, but I sometimes still want to dive in and try to do some of the stuff myself and learning to let go uh, is hard. But again, the other benefit is once you build trust with someone who does a good job in the area that, you know, you're not good at, or even if you are good at, but they're even better, you can actually let that stuff go, which is great. And it's a very, mm. it's a very a freeing feeling though. Hey, you know what? Even though I am good at, you know, this thing, I don't give a good example actually with my wife, uh, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a good writer, but she's a great writer. And so when I write something, I feel really good about it. Uh, you know, I'll get her to help me with stuff. And sometimes I realize, you know what? Maybe I should just let her do it because she's really good <laughs> at it way better than I am. And so I'm learning now to kind of let go of it, not even like spend time on it. Just, you know what? Just run with it, roll with it. And even the, even the whole, you know, do I need to check it? No, you know what? Just do it. And every, cause every, almost every time I look at something, she writes, I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. Except for like one or two tiny little things. Everything's perfect. So uh, I'm learning to let go of that even when I'm really good at something and someone's still much better. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think, you know, people will be listening to this going, you know, I find it very hard to sometimes trust my team or I do find it hard because it's my baby and I've built this business yeah. or whatever it might be. And it's, I don't, I feel it's going to be difficult letting go, but it's just like, it's as if your child's growing up, really, you've got to start taking the stabilizers off bit by bit. And the only way to do that is over time while the business is growing is to let them learn and sometimes make mistakes because that's probably what you've been doing anyway by building the business. What you don't yeah. want to do is build it up to this big thing and then try and hand over the reins to other people. It's while it's going along, you know, bring that person out on the pitch review for the first few times or get those mm -hmm. people to get involved with the marketing and, you know, you're slowly reining raining it in. It's not just going one day, right, you're coming into the office tomorrow and going, right, I'm not getting involved in any of this, this and this. You guys are doing it. It's, it's, you know, just uh, easing it out, really. Yeah, it's not like it's a hard transition where it's like, okay, I'm letting go of everything. No, you have to build that trust. And, for example, working with an accountant or a tech person or, or even a, a writer, uh, the idea is that um, you, you slowly give them projects. And, you know, the one big thing for me is as soon as they deliver excellence, I'm, I'm happy to let it go. Uh, mm. But with each time I see them, you know, like, Sometimes I work with people where I don't see the learning, I don't see the improvement. So what is inherent upon me to communicate that? Look, here's my expectation. Here's what I'd like to see. Here's where the feedback is, and then it's and then it's on, it's their job to take that feedback and use it. Now I've worked with some people where they don't do it. It's like okay, you know what? Like I'm going to have to keep micromanaging or holding a hand, which is exhausting. And mm -hmm. so you need to either give them some other task or let it go because or let them go as a as a employee because. It's too much on your plate to have to deal with all that kind of stuff. I don't want to spend all my time, especially as an entrepreneur, 
handholding people. I'll handhold for things that they need to learn how to do once or twice. But by the third or fourth time, I'm like, listen, you need to learn how to do this. I'm not going to do this for you every single time. That's the same, the same way I'm with my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach them how to, you know, uh, get get their own cereal and make it. But after the third time, you know, they're asking me again. It's like, guys, go do this. Like, you don't need me for this. You can do this now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a balance, isn't it? It's saying yeah. yes. I need to trust people around me and the team and the people I've brought on board. But if I can't really do that, are they the right kind of people in the first place? And that's right. where you've got to take a reflection and a bit of, and we'll talk about this in a second, a bit more, but a bit more of the self-awareness of what it is you're actually looking to bring on and who you actually want in your team, first of all. Because if you can't trust them, then it might not be, it might be a bit of both things. It might be you not being able to let go, but it also inherently might be that they're just not the right kind of person. Yeah, and trust takes a while to build. The idea that people want to build trust right away, I mean, that's fine. And sometimes you get lucky and you build trust very quickly. But in most cases, it takes longer than we realize. Yeah. So for, for leaders listening to this, managers, people who run their teams or entrepreneurs who've got a team around them, whether it's working directly under them or indirectly through contractors, how can what would you say to, to these people? How can they become better at doing this, of letting go and being okay with not being the smartest person in the room sometimes? Well, one is to think about the overall end goal for the organization or the team. What is it you want to achieve? So like if, if I say, for example, I want to achieve uh, 30% growth in sales for the team, the organization, then when I think about that goal, I think, okay, well, who's the best person that's going to get make that happen? Is it me or is it somebody else? Because if I have a sales expert who's really amazing what they do and they're delivering 50%, 50% growth every year for people, then you know, I realize that maybe it's not me that's going to do it. Maybe it's going to be that person that does it. The second thing is to have those conversations with the individuals that you're working with to build that trust, to understand what their strengths are and where you're going to let them lead, where you're going to support them and where you're going to have to handhold them because every single person has that where they have their weaknesses that you need to handhold or support them on or the areas where they're great because we all know that if people have strengths we need to let them you know sh- shoot the ball and and do the the great the great championship shot because they're the ones mm-hmm. that are good at doing that versus you know versus me doing it if I'm, I don't have the experience whereas the other areas you know where do they need my help where they need my support but it's that communication that discussion that that chance to invest in them understand who they are that's going to uh, be, be important. And the third thing I'll say is patience, patience to build the trust, patience to communicate, patience to work on that uh, and, and get it to the, the level it needs to be. And then finally, the last thing is have the courage to let it go if it's not working out. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned it there in a couple of times during a conversation around you talked about culture and, and an environment. It's making people feel comfortable, like they can add value into that conversation and then yes. their skills are being utilized. And also... It, you know, we've talked a lot about people who might be necessarily quite good at a particular area. You might find just by exposing someone to different aspects of the business or different parts of their role that something that they didn't even think they were that good at, they actually shine with. It might be that this yeah. guy that who is actually, you know, on the face of it, you might not think, oh, I would never put him in front of a, a prospect or a customer. And then he goes to a meeting one day and, you know, he gets asked a few questions. And you're like, wow, this guy is just so good. Like, yeah. You need to put him in front of it. And, and it's just from exposing people and it's creating that kind of environment where people feel like they, their input is valued. They're not just a kind of dot in the page. They're a bit more of a cog in the wheel. Um, and even if it is just some input or having an open session where you're 
asking for their feedback and, and so on. It can create that again. We talked about it, that culture. You know, it's funny you mention that. It's, it's funny you mention that because uh, when I when I work with interns, sometimes I would have interns work for my company, and what I would do with them is I say, look. The majority of your work, I want to focus on your superhero skills. So what are you a superstar at? What is your superhero skill? And let's spend 6% of that time on that. And then 20% of the time, I say, I want you to spend time on some area that uh, you're trying to develop. What area are you trying to develop or work on? And then the other 20%, uh, I used to say, look, why don't you, what's a project? Something different, something completely out there. And I would give them that chance to do it because they're already working, you know, for free and uh, I'm supporting them with my, with, uh, with my time and my energy. And I think it's kind of cool because sometimes someone, come over, someone came up with a really cool idea that just took off and they ran with it. It was amazing. And so I love that idea of giving them a little bit of leeway and flexibility to just be completely creative and try something new and you never know what might take off. So I love what you said about that. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's been some, some great suggestions there. Bobby from yourself in terms of you know moving on to a bit more about you as a person um you know you talked about at the start your journey and where you are today what over the years has been one particular kind of story or something that stuck with you that's that's reminded you might be thinking of it sort of you know each day or each week that there's kind of it might be a mantra or something that you thought actually that that pinpoint or that milestone changed the way I look at things Wow. Um, good question. I think the biggest milestone for me is probably one that I just, I just actually posted about this a couple of days ago on LinkedIn. Um, the big turning point was in corporate when my wife and I were trying to start a family. We were having trouble. I was uh, had, an, had a panic attack at work and I was trying to fake my first and only one. And I was feeling fatigued. And so we went to the doctor and tried to check different things. And then I found out that I had diabetes and that's why I was so fatigued. I couldn't work so much. And I went to the, my corporate and said, look guys, I can't work 80 hours a week anymore. My blood sugar is through the wood roof. I'd like to take two weeks off and then come back and work as something more reasonable. And I, I, I suggested 50 hours a week was reasonable, which is kind of funny because it was 80 hours a week before. And I said 50. Um, what was interesting is that three weeks later, they came back and gave me a package and they said, see you later. And I was like, wow. And I couldn't believe it because I was like, okay, so, you know, they don't want me to be there. I'm not their problem. Mm. And it, it was, it was, it was, it was life changing because I loved what I was doing. I enjoyed it. People enjoyed me and my work. It was very fun. Um, but no matter what happens, no matter how much a corporation or corporate entity values people, people can only be valued as high as number two. At the end of the day, the number one thing they care about is profitability and money. And, you know, and then, and, and so in the bottom line, and so, you know, I got packaged out. And it was a huge game shifter for me because I was like, wow, you know what? I spent all my time hustling eight hours a week to, you know, build a business and generate millions of dollars for their brand. And yet at the end of the day, you know, I was building their dreams and I realized, you know what? I need to take care of myself. I need to. And that's why for me, the biggest shift I've had in my life is entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. building my own dream and being my own boss, being my own manager and leader, developing myself, building teams and creating more impact for myself because it's doubly good because not only I'm maximizing the impact for myself as a leader and an entrepreneur, but I'm also maximizing the impact of my work and the people that I serve. And, it's, and I feel more, far closer to the, to the ground level of the people that I impact, particularly as a speaker, 
but also I feel that I have more control and autonomy with my life, which is amazing. And so that shift from, you know, the corporate mindset ranking me as high as number two, although I'd argue that corporation only ranked me maybe fourth or fifth. Uh, and, and then now where I prioritize myself first and, and, and as an entrepreneur too, I'm also more mindful of that in terms of prioritizing the needs of the people around me that I'm, I'm working with and making sure they're empowered and make sure they feel that they're having the impact that they want as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know, you've talked to a couple of times there around the impact, and that, that for me relates to purpose as well. Feeling like that yeah. you've got something that you can really believe in and be passionate about. And I talked to um, Alex Nemo Hans, uh, founder of Foolies, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about this as well. And he said, "Look, it's okay, even if it's not entrepreneurship, you're going to go down or open up your own business, as long as you can find something in your life that brings you." that makes you feel like you are making a bit more of an impact. It's okay to, to stay in your job if you, if you want to stay in your job, but be, be respectful of yourself and find something that you're passionate about. Even if it's something you do Absolutely. twice a week or it is your life, find something. Yeah, and what I would say to that is, you know, there's two things that people want. One is they want alignment, right? They want to align whatever they're doing, whether it's entrepreneurship or corporate or anything else, or even academics. They want to make sure it aligns with who they are, their values, the things they care about, the things that are important to them. And number two, they want impact. They want to make sure that whatever they're doing creates impact for themselves and for other people. That's the two things that people want, alignment and impact. And that's why personal branding is so important to me because personal branding is a way for you to align yourself to your purpose, your story, your legacy, uh, your, your point of difference, whatever it is you're trying to do. And personal branding is also the way to create the most and maximum impact with your life, with your business, with your career, with your team, with your leadership and beyond. So that's one big believer in personal branding in terms of how it helps us because that's the two things that everybody I talk to wants because that's how they create fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And too often people will spend their time, you know, creating a narrative that doesn't fit with their fulfillment. They're like, well, you know, I love my job, but I don't like my life at home or I like my life at home, but I don't like my job or worse to say, don't like my life, don't like my wife and kids and don't like my job. And thank goodness for hot yoga. But Ultimately, you should be working for fulfillment in all those areas. Try to improve all areas of fulfillment in your life because that's the most important thing you're going to look back on when you're near the end of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this doesn't necessarily have to relate to the topic we've been talking about today, but are there any other tips or suggestions from, from what's worked for you over the years that you'd like to share with the listeners in particular? For, for my business? or uh, Just in general, really, do you think that people – might benefit from whether that's from what you've sure. learned about yourself or what you've learned okay. about your business. Sure. A few things. Uh, one is, uh, um, I think you should, I think everyone needs to think of their, their ultimate story, purpose, and legacy. And we're talking about, you know, end of your life. You're not, you're 80 years old and you're on your deathbed and you want to look back. What kind of life do you want? What do you want people to say about you? To, you know, young people don't see beyond five, 10 years and older people in their forties, fifties don't see beyond 20, 30 years. But if you're, if you're wherever you are in your life, if you look back at 80 and go backwards, what kind of legacy in life do you want people to remember you for? And do you want to have, do you want to have travel? Do you want to have more connections? Do you want to have, like, what kind of impact did you want? Most of us don't think that way. And there's a great article on the top five regrets of the dying. And it says that most people regret not spending enough time with the people that really matter in their lives. So it could be kids or friends or parents or, or whatever it might be. And the second thing is they wish they'd spend more time exploring the grand diversity of this beautiful earth. And so if you want a lifestyle, a life that does that, think about what that is and work backwards, reverse engineer it for 50 years in terms of what you want to do and how you want to get there. And speaking of that, 
you know, another big thing that happens is a lot of people figure out what they want to do, then they learn to do it, and then they live a life based on that. So it's like, I want to be an accountant. That's what I want to do. And I go to school and I learn to be an accountant. Now I'm working as an accountant, making 60K a year. And here's the life I'm going to live based on that. I'm going to travel this much. I'm going to only travel once a year. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that because this is what I can afford. But what you should do is start with what you want to, what kind of life you want to live, mm-hmm. what kind of life you want to live. And then what's it going to take to do that and then learn to do that. And that's so instead, instead of doing, you know, what do I want to do, learn to do it. And then live the life based on that, you think what the life you want to live, figure out how to do that and then learn how to do it. And so that's something that I would advise everyone out there to do. And then the third thing I'm going to say is, you know, uh, don't ever let yourself stay s- stuck or unfulfilled or lost in any aspect of your life, whether it's your business or your career or your relationships. You should always work towards making it better because you deserve it and you deserve to make your life and your career and your business and your relationships better. Because, and there is always a way and there's always people that want to help you. Mm. Great. Well, thank you so much for your your time and you, you know your thoughts and your knowledge, Bobby. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. And for the listeners who want to keep up to date, Bobby, with what's going on in your world, you mentioned you're quite active on social. How can they find you? Yeah, so my website is uh, www.rayallen.com and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and my main handle is Rayhan Bobby. Uh, but that's where I spend uh, most of my time on those four platforms. Great. Well, thank you again, Bobby. It's been a real pleasure. And for the listeners, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey, people. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes and posts, you can find me on Instagram, Not Another Sales Guy, underscore in each of those words. You can also find the podcast on all major platforms by typing not another sales podcast and also if you want to connect to me on linkedin i go by the name of chris hatfield so thanks again and stay tuned for another episode